it's God first, other second, yourself third. The unique and cool thing about it is if you have that perspective, it comes back around to benefit you. Presents the pursuit. Go inside the locker room as Iwu Hoops trades the pursuit of me for the pursuit of three. Welcome to episode 5.12 of the pursuit. I'm Jeff Clark, one of the basketball coaches at Indiana Wesleyan. In today's episode, we'll hear about the growing discontentment in the locker room that happens over the course of any season. In the first half, Coach Osborne will interview Coach Tonegal about some of the dissatisfaction the team was sensing in January about the role that each player had. In the second half, Kanan Coffey, Tanner Rubio, and Noah Smith will come in and talk about the challenges of surrender and the tension of trying to live fully into your role. I'm joined now by Coach Tonegal, and, and Coach, we heard a little bit about Shea in a previous episode, um, but first time he came, he just resonated with the team, and, and you had him back to talk, and through those conversations, uh, I think he revealed some things about where our team was at uh, during this time. I love bringing in just other godly men to speak to our team. I think they just provide so many different angles and 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 I think just perceptions of of, of life. And Shay's one of those guys that really resonates with our program. He happened to be back in town. He had spoken a couple months prior, and he really laid out um, the, the story of sec- in Second Samuel. Um, where David starts out with 400 men and through adversity, through victories, he, he winds up with three elite men. And, and the idea is that, you know, to become one of these elite men, you know, you, you, have to, you have to walk faithfully and obediently through life. And our guys really resonated with that. We had a lot of guys that said, hey, I want to be one of those elite men. Because I think our world produces not the three, but the 400, right? The, the crowd, it's easy to fit in. It's easy to go with the flow. But man, God calls us out of that. And I think God calls us to to be one of those elite men while providing the grace necessary to do so. And, and something really resonated with our guys. But like any journey in any season, um, the, the adversities we face along the way are real. And I think Shea exposed some of the, the things Maybe that was beneath the surface for us at the time. I mean, we had won, I think we were talking 11 straight games. Eleven of, We had won 11 of 12 because we had just lost a conference game. But playing really good basketball, on the outside, everything looked really good. But beneath the surface, there was a little bit of, uh, I guess you could say, trouble kind of bubbling up. Uh, and it was in the form of just discontentment with roles. And, man, as we've talked about before, one of the most difficult things in coaching is is, is getting people to buy into those roles because not everybody can be the leading scorer. Not everybody can be a starter. Not everybody can play, but yet everybody has a significant part. And how do you figure out how to get guys bought into that? And we found ourselves in a position where a lot of guys said, look, I don't like my role. Um, man, that wasn't easy. Yeah. And as I think back to that, um, leading up to that Marion game, you would think that would have been a really easy game for everyone, everyone just to jump on board with. I think we were we were going to be up three games in conference play with seven to go had we won that game, and instead the it kind of gets flipped and we're now only up one game uh, with a, a tough conference schedule remaining. Um, but again, to your point, there's these peaks and valleys all throughout the year, and it, that kind of came at an unexpected time. But that led to some some hard conversations 
as we tried to kind of get the team back to, to this unified vision that we had for them. Yeah, hard, but, but very necessary conversations. And and honestly, I, I think one of the things I struggle with sometimes, I don't go looking for those conversations. So I was a little bit blindsided. Like, what do you mean we're we're discontent? We're, we're top five in the country. We're playing really well. Everybody should just be happy. And the reality is, even in my own life, I often find myself not – loving the role God has assigned to me. And sometimes God assigns me uh, difficult roles for seasons. And, I, and, and I've got to be obedient to those. And, and so what we begin to do is just dig a little bit deeper into those. And I remember having conversations with, with even a starter who didn't think he was getting enough shots. I remember having conversations with a bench player who thought he needed more minutes. You know, having, having conversations with some guys who hadn't played all season long that felt like they should play. And all were valid. And, and they needed... They needed space, and I needed to hear them out, and I needed to even examine, uh, you know, what was I being fair to all people? And, and to be honest, that's one of the hardest things in coaching, and I'm never going to feel great about all the decisions I make, um, and I never feel good about not playing some and playing others, but the reality is we have a very limited number of spots, and we have more guys than we do playing time. And what I don't want is my relationship with my players to be dictated by that playing time and and sometimes guys do they avoid you or they don't want to talk to you solely based on the fact you're not playing them and and I get it I mean I went through time period as a player where I didn't play and I was upset with my coaches but at the end of the day man our relationship's deeper than that and and hopefully through communication we can work through some of those very difficult moments yeah, it's pretty awesome just to to see and watch and be a part of, of these relationships where instead of kind of building walls, we're, we're leaning into some of those harder conversations and inviting kids in. And um, again, I think sometimes kids need a space just to have those conversations and share their heart. And we maybe don't align through all of that. But at the end of the day, we're asking everybody to, to get back on the same page and, and push the push the boat in the same direction. Yeah. And once again, like we talk about, like, this is a laboratory for the very important things that are coming in life. Like if you can learn how to fulfill your role on a basketball team, you got a shot at fulfilling your role as a husband. Cause let's be honest, there's a lot of great things about being a husband, <laughs> but sometimes I don't like the role that has been assigned to me in that moment or that season. And, and it gets even harder as a parent. Like I got twins. I've been changing <laughs> diapers all the time or getting up in the middle. And I, I don't like that, but that's the role I've been assigned. And that's what I've been called to be obedient to. And when I'm faithful with the little, there's going to be more. Uh, and so I want our guys to realize this is a very small test with big ones coming later. And if you want to be one of those elite men, and I'm talking there are very few elite men, but man, you know when you see mm -hmm. one who's serving God with all his heart, who's, who's impacting his community, who's just being a blessing to his wife and his family. If you want to be one of those, you got to buy into your role whether you like it or not for those moments. And you got to be able to, to prove faithful in those moments. And basketball is a very small part in that. But, but like we said, that's the fun. That's the fun in coaching is preparing these guys for a much bigger picture down the road. And those courageous conversations, they happen, to your point, in marriage, as a parent, in the workforce. And, again, this is basketball is just a great learning laboratory for, for young people and even for us as coaches just to continue to push ourselves towards growth. And coaches, as you reflect back, okay, we come off this loss to Marion, and um, then we're heading into our next game, trying to rebound from all of this. Uh, and we're going to play St. Francis, and uh, you just brought the, the key and the scout back to just I am third, getting back to the basics. What, what was it that led you there? Yeah, I remember um, just praying and discerning, like, I need something, I need something. And sometimes you can force your way into 
you know, what you think the team needs to hear. And it was just for me, it was when you don't know, or maybe your vision is not quite as clear as you would like as a leader, you go back to your true identity. And our true identity has always been in God first, others second, myself third. And that's kind of what I told the guys. I'm like, look, I don't know how this specifically applies to this scout. But at the end of the day, I know we're called to be third. So I'm just going to anchor right here until I've got specific instruction. Let's just get back to who we are. Let's not try to complicate things. We're called to be I'm third men, and that's that's where we anchored. And one of the things, as you say that, just reminds me of something that I've really learned and, and appreciated of my time here is, Sometimes you go in front of the team and it says, I don't have the exact answer. I don't know exactly what the fix is. Um, and sometimes we'll even give the guys ownership on the court, how they want to guard something or something like that. And, and at the end of the day, uh, I think that humility and that vulnerability allows those guys to grow in maybe ways we, we wouldn't have seen if we were always trying to be the people that have all the answers all the time. Yeah, I don't think leadership is about having all the answers or projecting to be and sometimes not. What my, what my people need is not strength but weakness, and that's hard to accept as a leader. But at the end of the day, if, if I'm really bought into empowering them and making them successful, not myself, it's not about how many followers I can get, but how, how many people can I empower, then, then there are those moments where I've just got to say, hey, you know better than me. I'm going to defer to you. And Coach, going back to I Am Third, we've probably got some listeners on here that have been listening since day one, or maybe some this might be their, their first episode. Uh, as you talk about I Am Third, Maybe give a little bit more insight as to the journey that I Am Third's been on and maybe some ways you've seen it move in, in different ways throughout the course of your time. I mean, that's a broad question we could probably talk for days on. But, um, you know, for me, it's when I first got the job and we started talking about I Am Third, it was a catchy slogan that sounded nice. And it's really turned into a way of life. It's turned into really a pursuit. It's about how am I posturing my life? How am I paying attention to the, the desires that are in my heart? because those desires are pointing me, they're orienting me, it's like a compass. And ultimately where I'm headed and the direction I'm going is gonna determine you know, where I land. And if I'm focused on God and other people, I'm gonna land in a great place. And so we're just trying to constantly point ourselves that direction through, through the game of basketball here at Indiana Wesleyan and see where God takes us. And last question for you, Coach. It's so easy in, in sports to, even as a coach, just to have a lot of different um, maybe standards or a lot of different things that you say, hey, this is what our team's about or this is how we're going to do things. But you've kind of elected to simplify it all down to I am third. How do you feel like that simp- simplicity has allowed guys to go deeper, I guess, with, with this concept? Well, as, as I kind of alluded to, I am third is not um, – it's not just a catchy slogan. It's not just based upon information or knowledge. It's, it's really a pursuit. It's directional. It, it moves us towards God. And when you're moved towards God, you can't help but to be moved towards other people. And I really think that that makes us better basketball players. That, that's what we've been discovering over the last few years is as a person really comes alive in Christ and discovers how God has created them uh, and then how those unique personalities and traits can be used for other people. I think they come alive. And to me, it's it's not just the right way to live because I think you can look at it like that. You know, sometimes with my kids, it's like, I do this because I've been told so. Well, what happens when I'm not around? Are they going to continue to do those things? So it's not just the right way to live, but it's it's the good way to live. It's the joyous way to live. It's the most fun-filled life. I mean, I'm convinced. Like, it's the most exciting, fun-filled life. When you live towards God and towards other people, you can't find anything in this life that 
even approaches that level of excitement, um, that level of adventure every single day. And as you're saying, ultimately, it's through the work of Christ on the cross that we can have true joy, true satisfaction, true contentment. And Satan is telling us a lie that we can find these things in other places. And the reality is, if we pursue a life that isn't Christ-centered, it never, ever satisfies. Uh, It only leaves us trying to grab hold of something that we can never reach. The pursuit of winning, it really never satisfies. In fact, it only intensifies our hunger for purpose and meaning in what we do. I think about the economy and coaching and, and the fact that it's based upon a false premise in which you need winning to be happy and satisfied. And I can simply look at my own life and realize that success for the sake of success has actually left me more unsatisfied. I remember winning my first national championship and you know, I'd finally gotten there, I'd finally climbed that mountain, I'd finally reached the peak and, and got to a point professionally that everybody says is the ultimate place. And I kind of had this empty feeling and thought, this is it. It was a surreal moment of, man, I know people who have thrown away marriages for this and left families behind so they could pursue this. But then I realized that that national championship was about a journey with my team of, of, of spiritual growth from the, the beginning of the year to the end. And that's what it was about. And that's where that fulfillment and that meaning for me really, really found its place. This podcast was created to take you behind the scenes of building an I Am Third culture in a basketball program. But IW Hoops believes this philosophy can translate to any context. As we enter this one-minute halftime, we want to let you hear from our sponsor, Insurance Management Group, who is building a culture of I Am Third in the insurance industry right here in Indiana. Here's IMG President Trent Daly. Pursuing the I Am Third lifestyle has helped me grow as a leader in all aspects of life. Putting God first, my colleagues and customers second, and myself third has impacted IMG in ways I couldn't have imagined. At IMG, we have a passion for people and helping them achieve their goals. We are not just an insurance agency. We are a culture and an experience. You should expect more from your insurance agent. Visit us now at www.insmgt.com. Now back to the second half. We're joined now by seniors Tanner Rubio and Cannon Coffee, And guys, we're going to go to the, the middle of the conference season Uh, The team's playing well, we're ranked highly, but even in a program that is pursuing third, it doesn't mean everybody's always going to be happy and satisfied with their role. Uh, So go to that stretch, even in the midst of a winning streak, how it started to be exposed to our guys, how there was some dissatisfaction and discontentment over roles. What were you guys experiencing in that moment? What do you remember about it? Tanner, why don't you start? Um, Well, for starters, um, I remember coming in and we talked about the Mount Vernon game, how that went a lot differently than, you know, anyone had anticipated. And, like, as the conference progressed, um, I remember having difficult conversations with the whole coaching staff. And Coach T specifically always, he would always, um, you know, he pulled me up to his office one day and he said, hey, look, like, you're not shooting well and, you know, you're taking some bad shots that are kind of, you know, taking us out of the full offense. And, you know, like that accountability we were talking about, having those difficult conversations and being able to receive them is, you know, part of what the road to success kind of looked like. But um, for me, he kept, he just reiterated that, 
you know, you're taking shots from 15 feet off the three-point line <laughs> a lot. And uh, that was a habit I kind of developed, you know, in my previous school because that was the only way I could get a shot off uh, being undersized. And he said, well, like, you know, here you're going to be able to get better looks because of everyone around you. He said, all I want you to do is toe the line. And such a simple request seemed, you know, easy on paper, but it took multiple games to finally get that <laughs> into fruition. And and it's it's interesting to hear you say that. To catch listeners up, the last time we spoke, uh, we were talking about some of the struggles you had. But by this point, you were going to another level and you were taking the team to new places offensively because of the way you could pass, some of your creativity, how you could score. You were fully bought in, but there was still further to go. It's not like we arrive at a place where we fully accept our role. And I remember some of the stats. If you were seven feet off the line, what you shot from three versus when you were on the line, and it was stark. But to your credit, you continued to buy in and go another step deeper. And that goes to you, Kanan, because you're a guy, you've been in the program for four years. Uh, You've shown over and over again, you're bought in first to, to winning. And, um, you're going to give anything to help the team win. But even with that, there's, there's an element of wanting more from your role and wanting more freedom. Um, and I remember there was a, st- a stretch in January, February where surrender to your role was a big thing for you. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, for me, that's something that, you know, I've struggled with and I compare myself a lot and, um, really I was letting it get the best of me and, you know, I'd show up each day and do what I had to do. But in my head, I was thinking, you know, I truly wasn't playing in freedom because I kept thinking, man, I, I wish I could be doing more. I wish I could be doing this or that. And yeah, there's that few game stretch where, you know, I was just kind of in a little lull and, you know, didn't really know what to do or how to approach it. And I remember, you know, we sat down and started talking and you brought up surrender to me. And, you know, I think in my head, I thought I knew what it meant, but I wasn't living it out. And so that was really a turning point for me and really just kind of pushing aside my own wants and desires and just because I knew that if I was going to keep pursuing that, um, that it was going to hurt the team overall and um, kind of mess up the flow and chemistry of the team. So really just kind of put a, put a pride, put aside my pride and, uh, you know, just do whatever the team needed me to do and kind of be that glue guy for our squad this year. So um, I think in January, that's really kind of what I bought into and, and put everything into that instead of just worrying about how many shots I was getting up or, um, you know, how many shots are falling. And it, it really shows the power of this conscious versus unconscious theme because what I hear you saying is as you were focusing on some of those things that were out of your control, mm-hmm. your performance was, was actually going down because you weren't playing in freedom. And, and I'm yeah, looking at the stats now. Over the last 10 games, you averaged more than three three-point field goals made per game and your percentage was through the roof in terms of how you shot it. So what is it, Kanan, about surrendering that allows you to go to no, to another level of performance? Man, so I think, you know, for me being a shooter, I think what it was is as I was thinking about, man, like, am I going to get a shot here? Should I try to shoot here? Like, as I was thinking about all those things, I just put so much pressure on myself. And, um, you know, I think I was I was really out there playing for myself and, and really looking to hunt shots and, and do all those things. And, you know, I just found as I surrendered that, surrendered the outcome and just, man, I just went out there and played, um, had fun, like was just playing for the guy next to me that, you know, really I kind of gave up those desires and, and just surrendered to it. And as I did that, you know, my mind was fixed on, okay, like you have to hit this shot or like you have to do this or that. But man, I was just going out there having fun and just, 
you know, trusting myself and um, also just, you know, going out there and, and playing for those guys and trying to get other guys shots. And, and in turn, it, I ended up getting, getting more shots than I thought I would. So, I mean, for me, it was just um, a, a less of a focus on finding my own shots and more of a focus on um, the team and what I could do to move the ball and, and, and kind of get the flow of the offense going. And, and it really is a, a representation of what we believe I am third is. As you put God first, another second, it comes back and it benefits you. Uh, so, Tanner, talk a little bit more about what you were seeing in the team because surely if you two guys who had proven over and over again you were going to be bought into anything, if you were having some of these struggles, surely it was impacting other guys as well. Tanner, who, who else do you remember that was in this midst of the grind was having some problems with this? Well, over the course of the season, I mean – Obviously, in preseason, everybody, like all, every single member of the team thinks they're going to start or thinks they're going to have a significant role in the team. And obviously, the reality of the situation is that's just not going to be the case. But two guys that stuck out to me over the course of the year were uh, Tim and uh, Michael Thompson. Uh, I remember Tim was starting, you know, first few games of the season, and he was playing, he was playing great. Like, not entirely you know, himself, but he was still playing great. Like, he went out there and played his butt off day in and day out, and especially in practice and competed. And then eventually it got to a point to where later on in conference, he was playing less than 10 minutes a game because, you know, Seth just went to another level. And like, that's not to say it's Tim's fault, but, you know, it just happens. I like, guess the reality of college basketball at times. And I remember having difficult conversations with Shane in the locker room where, you know, he kind of, We'd get discouraged, and he'd say, you know, I, you know, I felt like I could have been playing more. I felt like, you know, is it my fault that I'm not playing? And it's, it's so unique to think about those conversations and able to speak life into them. And not only from me, but he's saying he would have conversations with Trevor, with Kanan, with Mango, and just saying how, you know, we're not as successful as we are if you're not playing at the level you're playing at. And I remember Michael Thompson, he didn't play a minute for most of conference. And then we got to Bessel and his name was called and he had the greatest 10 Hmm. minutes of the game. and basically (laughs) saved us the game. Like we we were on the road at Bessel and Seth got in foul trouble. Tim got in foul trouble. And Michael Thompson came in and just played out of his mind. And we don't win that game without him. And I just like just reiterating that speaking life through those guys just saying that, you know, be ready because you never know. Yeah, in my mind, uh, what happened with with uh, Michael Thompson this year is really one of the stories of the season where he continued to buy in and go to another level despite not getting the playing time. And I think it has him poised for a, a breakout year next year because of his mentality. Yeah. Kanan, how about you? Uh, what guy stands out to you who, who maybe uh, fell into the natural trap of thinking too much about his role rather than playing in freedom? Yeah, I, I would say it would be Spencer. Um, you know, I think coming in as a freshman, as hard as it is, and then, um, you know, to come in and, and not shoot as well as he wanted to that first half of the year, that that just adds to it. And, um, man, I know how hard it can be to, to be in those situations. But, you know, the one thing that I saw in Spencer was, um, so he was competitive, so he was kind of hard on himself. But he was competitive and, and kept himself in the gym. He didn't give up and – um, man, he was just consistent. I think that's the word I use to describe him. And, um, you know, I, I'd shoot him a text here or there and he'd say, yep, just got some shots up or, um, and man, so I, I think that really paid off and 
he was a huge, huge, huge help for us in that second half, second half of the year and um, kind of be that six, seven man. And, um, you know, he came in, sparked us offensively and defensively. And um, he really stepped up and, and played a huge role for us. And, you know, now ended up knocking down some big shots down the stretch. He was never, um, never lost confidence. And, you know, he got over that stretch at the beginning of the season and um, stayed with it, stayed working hard. And, um, man, really got outside of his comfort zone and, and added to a lot to our team in that second half. Yeah, and another interesting case because the one thing you know Spencer can do is shoot the ball. And mm-hmm. we're sitting at Christmas and he's last in the country in three-point percentage. Um, and a lot of it's because he was really thinking about it and he was trying to make it yeah. so hard, but he just kept working he he kept dying to himself and to the team, and then he ended up. You get to the end of the year, he shot forty percent. Well, with how bad yeah. he shot in the first semester, he had to shoot lights out down the stretch. And it it really gets back to this thing: as as we die to ourselves, we go to new levels. So Tanner, obviously, the last ten games we averaged over hundred points. You were a catalyst for us offensively. Uh, you were basically playing mistake free basketball, which from where you had come from earlier in the year, it was amazing the growth you had. Talk about what it's like when you get over that uh, tendency to think so much about doing the right thing and you play unconsciously. What was that experience like for you down the stretch of the season? Oh, man. It was – I couldn't even put it into words because it was, it was the kind of basketball you, you, know, you dream about, right? Like you're finally living the dream of playing college basketball, and not only that – you're having fun. Every single game, I was excited to play for. Every single practice, I was excited to go to, which I could not say my previous three years. I Honestly, I, like, we're talking about a time where I wanted to give up basketball altogether to completely reverse to where I developed a brand new passion for the game to where it was so full of joy. And like playing that kind of basketball, not only are you having joy playing for yourself, but watching other like watching people play next to you like your brothers and your teammates and your coaches you know playing having fun next to you it just it all comes together and it's just a beautiful picture of what you know all that hard work really meant to us and and in coming episodes we're gonna be talking about the stretch you hear more from Kanan and others in future dates about those final games and and how the team really grew into being unconscious on the floor and what it looked like and felt like inside the locker room. On the next episode, we'll hear about how when everyone embraces their role and uses their gifts for the benefit of others, a team can experience incredible joy. In the first half, Coach Tonegal will join to talk about the growing unity he saw as players became unconscious in their roles. In the second half, you'll hear from Trevor Harrell, Michael Thompson, Billy Harness, and Jonathan Panzu about some of the most fun moments of the season and how they were a result of the team coming together. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pursuit. If you were challenged to grow from this podcast, please rate or review us on your podcast platform or share with those you know as it helps multiply the impact. If you have a question you would like to ask iWoo Hoops on a future episode, hashtag ask iwoo hoops or email jeff.clark at indwes.edu you can follow us on twitter instagram or facebook at iwoo hoops join us next time right here on the pursuit and remember if you want to be first first find a way to be third